Welcome back to the Big Stiff Podcast. Um, this week is a very special episode as it's not every day that you have the honour of speaking to an Olympic medalist. That's right. Our next guest is an Australian track and field athlete. His main event is long jump and holds the current Oceana record for the long jump at 8 metres and 54 centimetres. That is huge. He was the first ever Australian long jump medalist at a world championship and was a silver medalist, that's right, silver medalist at the 2012 Summer Olympics. It is without further delay that we introduce the one and only Mitchell Watt. How are you, mate? I'm glad you did your research because I actually thought the record was 8.53, but... You, uh, <laughs> you, 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 you oh, he doesn't, he doesn't even know his own record, there, mate. mate. A bit of DST on this podcast, yeah. <laughs> Plenty of research. I hey, Jackson, Jackson, I, I got it. Yeah, I just straight up got it wrong. <laughs> yeah, good, mate. Good, mate. This will be a good, good one. Yeah, I'm really excited. This might be. This might be the, my favourite one yet, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> something, I agree. Something a bit different, eh? You know, we're you know we're we're always about the league, like doing a bit of Olympics, you know, a bit of long jumps. Definitely, definitely a bit of uh, a niche subject that not many people will know. So it's good to get a dive in on this. It's definitely going to be our best um, because it's our first. So there you go. <laughs> Jack, <laughs> Jack, Jack, Jack. The one thing I will say is, even though I've gone to the Olympics for long jump, I still don't think I know too much about it, to be honest. Oh. <laughs> he just runs. He just runs. He just runs and jumps. I just did it because I was good at it, and I still don't know too much about it. <laughs> there you go. So I, I, we're going to just, um, obviously, we're going to ask you lots of questions, Mitch, if you're, if you're keen for that. Absolutely. Let's do it. Awesome. All right. Well, before we get to the crescendo of the silver medal performance, let's go back to the start, hey? Um you were a natural all-round athlete growing up uh, from Google and um, <laughs> from doing my, my deep dives. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but this is what I've, I've dug up. So you were an AFL state champ. You played schoolboys rugby union, schoolboys volleyball, and first 11 soccer in grade nine for the pre- prestigious BBC College, Brisbane Boys College in uh, Brisbane GPS School. But athletics was always a major draw card for you, I believe. Um, as a junior, you won the All Schools National Long Jump in 99, 2000, and 2001, where you held the national record for long jump, triple jump, and 100 metres. Oh, working so, on Tell us, Jesus. growing up being so bloody talented at a range of different sports, how did you choose athletics in the end, and more specifically, long jump? First of all, Ross, I love that you pretend... Like, we haven't been friends for, like, seven years. I know. Years. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mitch. Uh... Um, but, no, to, to your point, um, one, still to this day, like, I'm quite removed from athletics at the moment, but to this day, one of the biggest things that I think contributed to my success was I just played every sport when I was younger. Um, mm. I played... Volleyball, I tried rowing, I played cricket in my backyard with my brother in the summer holidays. And I think that somewhat is what is missing now from like the younger generation. They try and get too specialized too early. Yeah. Um, and I think that was like a big benefit for me is like I just, I just played everything, tried everything, you know, worked on your hand eye coordination, your fitness, whatever it was. Um, and that is like a. <laughs> Something that I think everyone now should do is like don't don't pick your sport when you're 14 years old. Like you know you've you just just play everything. And I th- I think that was a big factor in in my success later on because I just didn't care. I just did, did what I thought was fun. You know I, I played against you a few times. Played against some super, played with some superstars. Played against some superstars in various sports. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I. My athletics and track and field career kicked off because, not because I was a huge athletics fan or a huge long jump fan. It was just something that I was good at. You know, like you yeah. do your your state your sports carnivals when you're at high school, and then you go to districts, and then you go to regionals, and then you go to state champs and that kind of thing. Um, and I wasn't 
specifically like motivated or determined to do well. But long jump was something that I just happened to keep doing well at and kept progressing with. Uh, and I, I also, as you know, kept like rugby and, as you said, AFL and, and soccer, all those things in the mix. Because you were bloody you good at rugby. You were a fullback in um, AFL. You weren't, you're a ruckman, I think. And I remember doing – you and I both got um, poached by the Brisbane Lions to do their um, like their, their train-on sort of um, oh. squad sort of thing. So, like, we could, like, you could have pushed that a little bit more as well, Mitch. Yeah. And I, I still believe that. So, like, it's funny you mentioned, that, like, the rugby and AFL thing. So, like, Will Genia – um, was one of my best Same friends grade. in high school. Same grade, yeah. yeah. We're, like, we're, we're yeah. in class all day. Oh. I've got some funny stories about Will that we can hit on a bit later. Um, James Hallwell was also another one that... Are you serious? Um, Jesus. Same school. Yeah. Christy just made GPS. Wow. Yeah. So That's like, unbelievable. When I, when I talk about, um, like, being well-rounded and just doing sport for fun when you're in your teenage years, like... I used to do shockwood training with James Horwell and I used to play badminton with Wolgenia, like when I was at school. And I think that's like a huge asset that people mm. kind of uh, don't look at at the moment these days. It's like they just try and focus on one sport. But yeah, I, I, I personally don't agree with that. And I think that that was the reason why I did well, like across a number of sports is because I just played everything. I played like, literally 12 sports when I was younger and like the, the two guys that I was closest with that went professional in high school was James Horwell and Wolgenia and they they also played every sport when they were younger like yeah as I said I did I did shot put training with James Horwell I did badminton with Wolgenia um and so I I to this day believe that there's, there's something to that that you just when you're a kid you need to go out and have fun Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I agree. 100%, 100% there. Um, well, I guess we'll move on to the next question we have down here. Is, um, at what point of your life did you know that you were going to make a career just out of athletics? <laughs> so, the, uh, between the, so the, between the ages of like 15 and 19, so when I was 15, um, I broke – I went to – the national track and field championships for Australia. Um, I broke the record for the 100 meters long jump and triple jump. And then a month later, quit track and field. And everyone thought I was crazy. And the reason I quit was because I just wanted to go play rugby yeah. and volleyball with my friends at high school. I was like, I didn't see athletics as something that could, that, that was a career opportunity. You know, if I was good yeah. at cricket or rugby or something like that maybe but uh even though I was very good when I was 15 um it just I you know like I never had posters of long jumpers on my wall or olympians on my wall and so I you I had a like... dry tarima poster don't you lie <laughs> <laughs> shut up Russ <laughs> But no, like I was just at I was at high school with my mates, and I just wanted to be involved in the team sports. You know, like I didn't want to go and run, you know, laps of the track when I was sixteen years old on my own. I wanted to go and play rugby with the boys and go kick the footy around with the boys, and mm. that kind of thing. And like I generally didn't really, to, to be fair, like I didn't give a shit about athletics. And then uh, when I was like nineteen, um, I. I was actually, this is a true story. I was walking down Queen Street Mall in Brisbane, summer holidays when I was like 19. Is this with Briggsy? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I I hadn't touched a track in four years. Um, And he was like, oh, you should come down and like meet my coach um, and just like do some training with us. And I was like, okay, sweet. Like I just finished my exams at at uni. the guy that I, that I ran into, I'd been friends with him s- since I was a little kid, like from Little Athletics and all that stuff. And he was like, oh, just come down. And I was like, you know what? I didn't, I didn't have a job at the moment. I just finished my exams at law school. 
Uh, I was probably a, a few kilos overweight, so I was like, what have I got to lose to go down and like do some training? Like, it's been a while. I miss this guy. Um, and so anyway, I went down with him and met his coach. And then like nine months later, I was just... I don't know if I can swear on this podcast, but yeah, yeah, go for it. Yeah, go I, for it I was just fucking around at training, like in the summer holidays <laughs> with my friends, and I missed out on qualifying for the Beijing Olympics by like uh, three centimeters. Oh wow! Beast, oh, Jesus, that, that's um, rough. And like, I generally wasn't even doing weights. I was training maybe three, four days a week, and so that at, at the end of 2008, I was like, well, if I, I enjoy training. Like, I still enjoy, like, you know, going to the track, hanging out with my friends, the locker room, all that kind of stuff. But at the time, I was, I think, 19 or 20. And I was like, if I can almost qualify for the Beijing Olympics training three days a week without doing weights, then I think if I take it seriously, I can make the next Olympics. And that's kind of like, that was the turning point for me. Um, so up until, like, the end of 2008, it was all just fun and games. And then... 2009 was my first year that I took it seriously um, and came third at World Champs in Berlin. So that's... Wow. It's, it sounds kind of stupid, wow, really? but uh, I was... Yeah, my, my, my point is I was just an all-round guy and did it because I was good at it. And there was never a part of me that, you know, wanted to... I didn't have pictures of Ian Thorpe or Grant Hackett on my wall, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, but bit of a late, late bloomer it, it, it just you know gave me it took me places that I never thought that I would go um, and I was down to go for the ride yeah, well, I think I can jump about 1.5 metres so I think I might have you there <laughs> 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 and, that's, and that's after if we, if we had a competition a today I think you'd have me <laughs> oh <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, turn it up. <laughs> It'll be close, I think. <laughs> I think it would right. be close too. <laughs> yeah. All right, Mitchie. Um, so you rose to prominence in 2011 with an outstanding year of competition with big jumps domestically. You continued this form internationally and had the four leading jumps in the world going into the 2011 World Championships. An 8.54-metre jump in Stockholm set the oceanic record. Tell us about this season and how you were feeling going into the 2012 Olympics. Oh, Big this, question. This, this might not That's a little build-up. Yeah. Lost <laughs> in the prawn there. Like, you put some air in your tyres there, Mitch. Um, yeah. So, how, was the, how was the preparation in, in going to the Olympics and... And whatnot, sort of to sum up that question. You must have been feeling tough. good. It, uh, so I'll I'll start the 2011 question first. So, yep. um, you know, despite what I just said um, about you know playing all the sports, not being obsessed about track and field when I was younger, the one thing that I do remember about. Uh, you know, w- when I was younger, was Jai Tarima at the Sydney 2000 Olympics. Yes. Um, and that was actually, you know, I was 12 or 13 at the time. And as serious as athletics or any type of sport can get when you're 13 um, at the time. But I remember watching Jai. He jumped 849 at the Sydney oh. Olympics and, and came second. Jumping I... Jai, it's time to fly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, and I remember watching that with, you know, at home with my parents when I was 12 or 13 and I was just like, oh my God, like how the hell is someone and Aussie like that? And Aussie. Yeah. And I specifically remember thinking like, no Australian is ever going to break that record. And I was always a huge fan of Jai. Um, my coach that coached me at the Olympics in London, 2012, actually coached Jai previously as well. Um, oh, Wow. Ross, I'm not sure who's a, who's a Queenslander on this podcast, but like, yeah, Jai it's just was, me, mate. It's just me. Jai was from Sunnybank. Um, oh athletics. no way! Yeah. Okay. And so at the time, I was just like, oh my god, like Jai's insane. There's no one, no Australian's ever going to break his record. Mm. Um, and so leading up into 2011, it's funny. So I broke, 
I broke Jai's record uh, in Stockholm 2011. Um, and I was actually injured for like a month before. And I, I bruised my heel um, at, at my previous competition. Anyway, get to the competition in Stockholm. It's like at the Stockholm Olympic Stadium, which is like kind of a cool historic place. I hadn't been able to train for like four weeks and I had no idea how I was going to compete that day. Um, and anyway, so I like went through my warm ups. We, we go from like the warm up track to the stadium. I do a couple of practice jumps and I said to my coach, I think my, my best at the time was like 8.38 and Jai's record was 8.49. And when you're getting to like that elite level, like 11 centimeters is a long way. Um, yeah. Yeah, in, you know, to to improve eleven centimeters in, in one day is huge. And before the competition started, I went over to my coach and I was just like, "I'm going to jump eight fifty today." Um, and Jai's record was eight forty nine. And my coach was just like, "Are you sure? Like, I just taped your foot up in plaster. Um, <laughs> you haven't trained for a month." And I was just like, "I was like, no, I I'm going to get it." And then anyway. My on my second jump, I broke his record, and wow. which was awesome. Um, <clears throat> I, I knew I ha- I knew I had it in me. I was like twenty three at the time. Like I, as as much as I love and respect Jai, like I that was my goal. You know, whether it was that year or a future year to break it. But the coolest mm-hmm. thing was, um, I got back on the bus after the competition, and I. I'd never spoken to Jai Tarima at this point in my entire life, even though like we live close, we have the same coach. He, I, I'd never spoken to him. And so I sat down in Stockholm on the bus, turned my phone on. And this was the days before like you had international roaming data. Like I had to buy a SIM card every, every freaking country I went to. And so yeah. I have no, to this day, I have no idea how Jai Tarima got my number, but he was the first <laughs> one to, he was the first one to text me. And said, uh, I, I had no idea that I still had the record, but he was like, I'm so proud of you. He's like, I, I'm like, I couldn't, my coach was called Gary. He was just like, I'm so happy that my record got broken by someone coached by Gary. Um, oh. And I, I still like have a screenshot of that text message from him because, you know, watching him in City 2000 get the silver medal, he's a bit of an urban legend. Um, and for that to be the first text I got, you know, in a foreign country, when I didn't, he, he, I don't know how, I, to this day, I still don't know how he got my number. Um, but that was just like a really cool full circle thing that he was the first one to text me after I broke his record. Hey, Mitch, yeah. do you know where you rank in um, all-time longest jumps? I know. <laughs> 20, oh, 20, oh, second, 20, 20 longest jump of all time. That's bloody amazing. Yeah, that's, that's that sounds about impressive. right because I know I know when I finished in 2015 to 16, I was 15, so that that sounds about right. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Just another question off that as well. When when preparing for this event, what was your eating like? Like, did you like what kind of calories were you eating, or kind of food you were consuming as well leading up to this event? So, that's a great question, and. The one thing that I really appreciated about my coach was I was never super strict on my diet. Um, I think, you know, Ross can probably attest to this. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I, w- I would still happily go out on nights out with the boys. Yeah. Um, and my, my coach would say to me, he was just like, I would rather you go out with your friends and have a couple of beers and eat some pizza than be sitting at home, you know, cooking chicken and rice, because the, the mental part is obviously hugely important. And he was just like, you train so hard during the week. He was like, two beers or two slices of pizza, whatever it was, or, you know, an hour less sleep. He was like, I'd rather you, you I'd rather you be in a good state of mind coming into training on Monday. So he, I really appreciated that about my coach. And I think that made a huge difference in that some people that I trained with, they Mm. would be so, they would like counting calories and and weighing Mm. their almonds on their scale. And my my coach would just be like, 
No, he's just like, go out, have a few beers, have some pizza. He's like, you worked your ass off this week. You know, you need to be in a good frame of mind. Like, you don't want to be miserable coming to training on Monday. That's and so good. Not, and not many people agreed with that. But I think, I don't know whether it was just me or that's like a common thing. But my, whether I think my coach could really see that I was just a chilled guy. That, you know, mm. I was I was along for the ride and getting an extra two two hours sleep on a Saturday night or eating less calories on a Saturday, like wasn't going to change anything for me. Um, and I really, to this day, like I really appreciate my coach for giving me that direction. Cause he was just like, you need to be in a good, a good mindset. And if you're eating, you know, broccoli and peas on Saturday night and going to bed at 9am, he's like, you're not going to be having fun. And I, I yeah. think that's, I think a lot of coaches could probably, you know, take a leaf out of his book because th that made a huge difference for me. And I think uh, that kills a lot of people, you know, yeah, not, just, not, not just athletics, rugby, whatever yep. it is. Um, you, you know, you, you need to have fun along the way. And we certainly mm. did. And I think Absolutely. That I love yeah, because I'd imagine that. that it's like, it, like a lot of individual sports, it can be lonely at some time. So having that balance of like lifestyle, because I mean, you only get to do it once, don't you, as a young fella. So I, I like when we used to go out and have beers, like no one would even like, we knew you were all going to go to the Olympics. We knew that, but like, it was like, oh my God, Mitch is going to the Olympics, but he's just like one of us. So it's like, yeah, you're just so talented and yeah, you're blessed with the, the genes yeah, that man, you had. Like, <laughs> the, thing, the, the thing that I would say is like, if you're training five years, you know, whatever it is, whether it's Olympic situation, you know, four plus years, rugby, same, whatever, whatever sport it is, like a couple of nights with your mates is not going to, change anything no. like you're you're either going to make it or you're not and then you know if you have a night out with the boys you know to my previous point like i think that probably adds more value than staying at home you know getting a good night's sleep because yeah. you, know, you gotta you yeah. gotta take the holistic approach um you know i'm sure there's probably a bunch of people out there that disagree with me but it worked all right for me so so the 2012 domestic season, you were, had a few injuries like calves and Achilles problems. So, what sort of challenges did you uh, did you and I, I guess other athletes have to overcome to get your body back to 100? percent And that was just getting it back for the Olympics because that was the big game, wasn't it? Yeah. So it was interesting that year. So as you guys mentioned, 2011. I had the longest jump in the world that year. Um, and luckily, that gave me automatic qualification for the Olympics at the end of awesome. 20, uh, 2011. And so instead of kind of having to prepare early in 2012, you know, go to national championships in Sydney, that kind of thing, and jump the, jump the Olympic standard, I, I knew, like, like, September 2011, that I was locked in for London. So that was a that was a huge benefit for me and like one of one of the goals that I wanted to get out of like the 2011 season. Um, and so heading heading into 2012, um, it it was it was really tough to be honest. Like I I was at uni. I took the year off uni um, and went overseas and that kind of thing. Uh, but just. I, I think the tough thing for me was like my from the end of 2011 to let's say the Olympic final, like my Achilles was screwed, like absolutely, absolutely screwed. And so for me, it was always like a race against the clock of like, I, I tapered back my training, but I knew that if I could... Uh, you know, maybe if I could train at 80%, I would be super confident going into the Olympics. Um, yeah. And so getting to getting to 2012, I didn't compete all that much in 2012. I think maybe like two or three comps throughout the, like the prior 12 months, which is very, very low um, for any, any athlete like heading into the Olympics. Um, 
And so I think he- heading in, it, it it's tough, right? So like, mm. if Russ, Russ, right? If I if if you ever said to me when I was you know twenty years old, <coughs> you're gonna win a silver medal, I'd be like, you're crazy. That's like that's never gonna happen. Yeah. Um, but but no, what, I, Mitch? I. I remember playing netball, mixed netball with you, and um, <laughs> like this, this girl, this this girl was like, "Oh, who's that?" And I'm like, "That's that's Mitch," because I think she fancied you. And um, she, me. I was like, "Oh, he's he's going to be an Olympian," and like, oh. I was like, "Oh, oh, really?" And that was like oh, before. Yeah. That was before. Like that was like maybe like 2008, 2009. So it was like, I we knew back then that you were going to make it. So you know what's funny about that, Ross? You know what's funny about that? What's that? Oh no, when you I, hooked up with us when I when I was training. For the <laughs> when I was training for the Olympics, I used to lie to my coach and oh. tell him that there's no way in the world I would play volleyball at, uh, sorry, netball at university. And I lied to my coach for two years, hoping that I wouldn't roll my ankle. And thankfully, we I didn't roll my ankle. <laughs> we won a few finals. We, we, did, we did win the mixed netball premiership. Ross, Ross yeah, we did. <laughs> Career high. Mitch, M- Mitchie, just a, a topic off... Uh, oh, sorry, a question off topic a little bit here. Did you um, ever get homesick or anything? Like with the injuries, it's obviously it's a bit tough and and whatnot. Um, and being overseas, um, did you? Yeah, did you get homesick at all? Um, I, I didn't get homesick. Um, and I think that's probably like a testament to my parents, right? So yeah, after after the Olympics, um, I went. I so I had a. Uh, Achilles tendon surgery after my after the Olympics, yep. um, and spent like five months in Vancouver in the winter with like a a doctor oh, wow. that that had been recommended to me and that I kind of had met along the way. Yeah, um, sounds awful. Was, like, <laughs> honestly, like there were some very lonely days there. Like I spent a lot of my own money, a lot of. I, I was in Vancouver in the winter for five months on my own. Like I would catch the the bus to this like training facility in the morning re- rehab all day i was doing these like underwater treadmills i was like the doctor i was working underwater with treadmills. was like the, the doctor i was working with was like the doctor of the seattle seahawks wow. uh, we had like a bunch of nfl hockey guys there like i was shooting hoops with steve nash no um, way! <laughs> it was it was just like awesome. a hub. Flexing. Um, Jared Hayne came to stay with me for a while, but that's maybe have to cut that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. can, can you cut pieces out of this? Yeah, 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 just yeah, roll, yeah. We just roll. We with the punches. All right. So yeah, uh, this might be a, a bit for the. Uh, cutting room floor, but uh, I was in Arizona um, when Jared Haynes signed with the 49ers, and I Jared Haynes used to be a hurdler, like, when we were 16 yes. or 17, and so he, when, when he signed with the 49ers, in the preseason, you're not allowed to reach out to, like, the coaching staff, like, that's part of the preseason rules, I don't know, it's just like an NFL thing, and so Jared Haynes hit me up, all... All the NFL guys, um, it's actually amazing. Like it's like UFC guys there, NHL, OB, Odell Beckham was there. It was wild. Oh, so anyway, Jared wow. hit me up and he was just like, "Can I come stay with you? Because I don't know where to stay. I'm not allowed to message the 49ers coaching staff." And I was just like, "Yes, yeah, sweet, like come stay with me." And then uh, we were just playing FIFA the whole time, like me and Jared. And he was staying in my apartment. And then uh, Colin Kaepernick texted him while while he was with me. And Kaepernick was like, hey, Jared, like, we're doing these drills tomorrow. Um, you know, whatever the fuck it was, like, slant rap, blah, 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 X, Y, Z. And Jared was just like, I have no fucking idea what this guy's talking about. He's just like, <laughs> it, was, it, it was his second day in the US. And he was just like, do you know what Kaepernick's talking about right now? He's just like, I've got no idea. 
Um, so that that was like a, a, a funny thing. But to, to my point, I didn't know until like two days ago that he was in jail. Like I completely missed that whole story. <laughs> yeah. So did you know Jared, Jared before he went over there? Have you, were you good friends with him or? Yeah. So he, he, when he, he, when he was like 16, he won like the national championship yep. um, for like 400 meter hurdles when he mm-hmm. was 16. So w- when he was younger, he was like half in the athletic circles, half in the rugby circles and obviously went with rugby. Yep. Um, yep. And then we crossed paths a couple of times with just like whatever, like sponsorship stuff or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, and then, he yeah, he did the NFL thing. Um, but, dude, I was flabbergasted. My mum told me, like, two days ago that he was in jail. And I had, I had no idea. And I was like, he, he stayed with me for, like, three weeks when he was just starting out. So Yeah. Um, yeah. Very unfortunate for him. Yeah. I think he's. I think he's spending what five years? Is it up to five years? Yeah, that's right. Unfortunately, like, yeah. yeah. Bloody sad. But anyway, we have the next question here: is 2012 Olympics. Tell oh, us about the, the, the lead up, uh, the battle with Greg Rutherford and the crowd, and then of course winning winning the silver. Oh, um, so. The You're probably sick of this question, but we want to hear it. <laughs> yeah, I actually have refused to answer this question for the last ten years. So. <laughs> oh, okay. I feel I feel privileged. Yeah. <laughs> no. So I finished 2011. Um, had like yeah, I, the longest three jumps of the year that year. Um, and then I was all like. I guess all of 2012 or like the last six months leading up to the London Olympics. Um, I, I, it was always going to be between me and Greg Rutherford, the guy that beat me. Um, like, and so the thing that was real, I think the thing that challenges me the most, right. Um, to be perfectly honest is I, on the one hand, as we've discussed at the, at the top of the podcast, like I had zero expectations. I was doing this shit for fun. Um, you know, everything, everything was kind of a bonus for me. But then when we get to the Olympics, um, I'd been training. Okay. Like I I had to dial it back because like of the Achilles thing, but it wasn't a problem. And so the thing that frustrated me the most was, um, Going into the Olympic final against Greg, I had beaten Greg like 12 out of 12 times like leading up to that competition. And then secondly, I I jumped the worst that I had jumped, like the short, I guess the shortest I jumped um, in like four or five years. And so to this day, I still like go, I swing sore back and forth, right? So like on the one hand, if someone had told me when I was like 16 years old, like screwing around, you know, playing volleyball or, you know, out with Ross on the weekend or whatever, if someone had told me when I was 19, 18, that I was going to get a silver medal, I would have been ecstatic. But when push comes to shove and the guy that beat you, he beat you for the first time in 13 competitions oh. and my Achilles was killing me and uh, it was my worst competition distance wise in like five years that's that's what frustrates me but like the longer that time goes on i appreciate it more but at the time i was just like if i had have been just a touch healthier like i'd back myself all day like yeah and, and that's what's the problem but obviously like your your ambitions and your motivations and your goals change as time goes on mm-hmm. and Silver medal is pretty bloody good, you know. Oh, it's fantastic, mate. It is. Yeah, but, like, but, you but when be you caveat it, when you caveat it with like, that was the first time in thirteen competitions that he's beaten me, and it was my shittest comp. Like, that's what pisses me off. Yeah. yeah. But at the at the same time, like I had that Achilles stuff going on. Like, 
the following year, I ha- I missed the entire season 2013, and so it's just like you know I'm just lucky that 2013 season when I had to skip the whole season could have been 2012 and I wouldn't even go to the Olympics, you know. So yes, it's just like it's mate. What is it? Freaking nine years later, and I'm still like juggling those two things, and it's just like some days I'm grateful, some days I'm pissed off. Um, and that will probably <laughs> never go away. So. Oh, yeah, that's a wonderful achievement. Yeah, because yeah. you go oh, there, unbelievable. To win, to win the big one, but mate, you should never feel any animosity towards winning silver. Like that's such yeah, a bloody yeah, achievement. Like and and you did, and you did your country proud as well. That's the you know, absolutely you absolutely killed it. So I appreciate that, guys. And like, it's funny because you know, speaking of Dry Tarima earlier, like he won silver in Sydney. And when I was like a 13 year old, you know, young guy watching that, I thought he was a god. And then mm. for, for some reason, I like reprimanded myself for doing the same thing that he did that I thought he was like a hero for. So yeah, it, it it's just a matter of time. I, 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 I do generally appreciate it and I'm grateful for the opportunity and I never when you know when I was 20 years old I never thought it was going to happen but there's also going to be that little part of me that's just like I, I could have easily won that you know yeah 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 but that doesn't take away from the the entire experience and you know what I achieved exactly, exactly right you know things happen for a reason as I say exactly uh, so, Scotty, you got a question about the uh, the next one? Uh, yes. Let's let's go on to a little bit of a different topic here, and um, let's talk about the condom scenario. So, <laughs> I've, I've just uh, so raunchiest. <laughs> yeah. So there was the raunchiest Olympics, and then I've, I've just been reading up that there's going to be one hundred fifty thousand free condoms that are going to be sent to Tokyo. Um, now, can you give us a little bit of insight into that, Mitch, <laughs> and what, what's going on there? Yeah, I can give you lots of insight into that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd, I'd love to hear. Mm. So, I, in the Olympic Village, right, uh, so for the bigger countries like Australia, USA, England, they give you your entire, so they give you your entire building. So I think like the general gist is, after the Olympics, they sell the Olympic Village apartments as like apartments. Yep. Um, but the A- I must admit the AOC they they are like your cool parents, like the cool parents that you had when you were a teenager. So like mm. they they just want to make sure you're safe. But I'm not going to judge you for it. So, for example, they would put uh, condoms in the elevator in our building in in the Olympic Village. (laughs) Just cause. Just cause. Um, Just in case. Just because they want you to be safe, you know? Yeah. Um, And then, so I was actually rooming with Steve Hooker um, in in the village. And then they, not only that, but they also... So, you know how, like, swimming's in the first week, track and field's in the second week, yep. you know, the, the marathon's on the last day, so, like, but the AOC, or, like, the team, team leaders or whatever, would uh, re-maneuver the rooms, so, like, everyone that had finished competing would be on one side of, of the building, and all the dickheads that had to run the marathon at the end of the tournament <laughs> would be on the other side of the building so like they were just the cool parents they would put condoms in the elevator and then they would rearrange the bedding situation so all the people that wanted to party would be on one side and all <laughs> the other people that would want to party would be on the other side so and then good there'd be, there'd be situations where like at the time um you know just to use the steve hook for example uh He's now married to this girl. At the time, he was dating a Russian 800-meter runner. And I was rooming with Steve. And Steve Hooker would be like, oh, um, 
Katya just texted me and was wondering if she could bring like a bunch of her friends over from the Russian truck team. And I was just like, is that a is that a fucking trick question, Dickhead? Like, <laughs> let, yeah. let me think about that for a second. Let me add Let me add him. <laughs> so she she'd bring all her, all her friends over. Um, the condoms went in the elevator because they just want you to be safe. And all the marathon runners that are weird anyway would be on the other side of the building. So it was good times. <laughs> oh, it'd be absolute carnage. Very <laughs> oh, good. Well, <laughs> I, I, I would imagine it would have been yeah. After your events done, it would have like and for all athletes who are single, it just would have been all right. Party's on. So, I've actually got a big step exclusive for you guys. Come on, we love a big step. I'm aroused. I, sw- I swear to God, in. Nine years, I've never told this to anyone. Okay, exclusive <laughs> so, people. I promise you. So I actually, because to, to be good at long jump, you need to run fast. And so that year, I ran a few hundred meters. I, I ran like two or three hundred meter events, like hundred meter sprints, just to, just to see where my, my pace was at. Mm. Um, anyway, it turns out that I that year in 2012, I had the fastest 100 meter time of the year for Australia. Wow! What? what? <laughs> and, oh wow! Bloody hell! That's embarrassing for the sprinters, but that's amazing yeah. for you. I I completely agree. It's very embarrassing for the sprinters. If there's any sprinters listening from 2012, you got to pick it, fucking get your shit together. <laughs> <laughs> what time um, was that? Just quickly. 10, Around 10. Yeah, that's fast. That's lightning. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, the long jump qualifying round was day two. So there's two weeks of the Olympics, right? Week one's mm-hmm. the swimming. Week two's track and field. So I'm talking about week two. So long jump qualifying was day two of week two. And then the final was day three of week two. Um, and so I'd qualified for the four by 100 Olympic team for Australia because I'd had the fastest time. Not by my choice. <laughs> I didn't, I wasn't <laughs> planning to do that. Um and so the coach of the 4 by 100 meter team called me up after the night I won my silver medal. And he, and he was just like, oh, do you want to run in the 4 by 100 meter relay team? Like, you've got the fastest time. And I was just like, I was like, what day is it? And he goes, day 11. And we we're on day four. And I was already partying. And I was just like. No, I don't have a chance. <laughs> so I like, no, no chance, mate. I was like, I'm not giving up nine days in the Olympic Village to run your shitty four by one hundred team with, 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 with three other white guys. Like, there's no point. That's gold. <laughs> Where did they place? Oh. So I, I declined the invite. I declined the invite to the four by one hundred meter team um, because we're not black. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's true, party, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I got a, I got a certificate. So they actually did exceptionally well for an Aussie team. They came seventh in the final. Oh uh, wow! But, be- but because I was in the squad, I have a. I mean, aside from my silver medal, I have a a, a certificate at home. That says no, came, you don't. That says I came. Seventh in the four by one hundred meters. You're probably you're probably in the pub, not even watching it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I didn't, no, I didn't watch that at all. That's dull. <laughs> I didn't watch it at all. Oh, that's so good. Oh, I guess I guess then we can classic. This next question we got down is uh, looking looking forward. Uh, what are your ambitions and any words of wisdom to young athletes out there listening? Um, so for the young athletes, I like the thing I touched on at the top, I, I, I could not emphasize that more, honestly, of when, you know, if you're in high school, like 16, 17, 18 or younger, just, just do whatever you find fun. Like I would, I would play 
backyard cricket with my brother. I would play volleyball with Wolgenia. I would do shot put with James Hall. I would play AFL with Courtney Dempsey from my high school mm. that played 10 years for Essendon in the AFL. Like, just don't pigeonhole yourself because yes. I, generally, I generally believe that the best thing you can do is, I, like, I don't know the science behind it, you know, whether it's hand-eye coordination or fitness or, like, whatever it is, but just, just have fun when you're young, man. Like, it's... Like, I didn't start taking athletics seriously until I was literally, like, almost 21. And, mm. like, I played – I just had so much fun when I was younger. Like, playing golf, cricket, volleyball. I, I generally think I almost played every sport. And just don't don't pigeonhole yourself if you're, like, 14, 15 – even if you're the best rugby player in Queensland or whatever, like I, I, I just can't advocate that, that enough. And it's, I was actually texting with James Horwell before, um, who you, you guys probably know, but for the listeners, yep. like captain of the yeah, rugby, absolutely, absolute legend, captain um, of the second best rugby team in the world behind the. All right, all right. <laughs> um, but but what? I was speaking to him earlier today, and he thinks the same. It's just like, like me and James Horwell were throwing shot put when we were seventeen years old, just like on a shitty athletics track at school. Like, you don't need to, you don't need to do all this specialist training. Just, just have fun until you're like, until you finish high school, man. Like, absolutely. I, I, I can't advocate that enough. Like. One funny story, right? So, Wolgenia, um, one of my best friends at high school. Uh, it was it was two two thousand eleven. Um, so we were in the same PE class, and I that was the year that I broke the Australian record, or the Oceania record, Jaitrima's record, and it was the Rugby World Cup that year. And me and me and Genio went back to our high school for an assembly and we had the same PE teacher from like grade nine to grade 12. So like super close. Anyway, our PE, the PE teacher that Genia and I had gets up. Um, yeah. we're, we're supposed to be there for like a special presentation because I just broke the record. <laughs> they just went to the rugby world cup and our PE teacher, Wade Riggs, Wade Biggs, if he's, if he's listening, he gets up and goes, I'd love to stand up here and say that, like, Mitch and Genia were the two hardest working people in their PE class, but he's just like, that. that's not true. He's like, they were fucking late. <laughs> and he was just oh, like, classy. I'd be lying to you if I said that they were just the two hardest workers of all time, but he was just like, they were the two least hard workers of all time. <laughs> <laughs> be more like them kids. But it, it's just goes to show, just like, yeah, just have just have fun and you know play sport with your mates, play whatever with your mates, and if if you've got what it takes, it'll sort itself out. But don't like, you know, get professional halfback lessons from when you're 13. Like that's not going to work for you. Amen. I I I agree with you, Mitch, because I was the exact same. Played so much yeah. sport when I was younger, and I ended up choosing cricket. So yeah, I agree with you 100. Having having fun is the best thing you can do when you're yeah. like less than 17 years old. Yeah. So if you're I, not if you're not having fun, what's the point in doing it? <laughs> that so, reminds yeah. me of Barry Barnes because he's he's my age at my school, and like that kid, I mean, Barnesy's like he's just one of the great sportsmen, like all rounders. Because he was playing Queensland cricket, he could have got a, a, a contract with Queensland Bulls. He got yeah. a Broncos contract, Queensland Reds, AFL, like swimming, Mate, he, he running. Was, he was like, all the talk, at, but uh, he was all the talk at all of our schools when we were in high school. Yeah. Yeah, he was mm. just—he was the freak just of freak. The, the generation. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and he was the same. He played everything, so and he just chose the best. That like you choose that path at the right time. So, yeah, you're right, mm. Mitch. Don't don't try and focus on just one. 
Matt, it's just like when you think of like Genia, like I, I generally used to play Genia in badminton when I was 17 years old. And then yeah. he would, like, he would beat me in badminton and then go to Ballymore to like train with the, train with the rest. Yeah, classic. Like, so just, just quickly, um, Mitch, cause we're, we're going to wrap up quickly. Um, and, any sort of final hopes or medal hopes for the the Olympics coming up in track and field? It's been not really like the, <laughs> twofold because I I am a bit removed from athletics at the moment. Like I don't I don't know who are the hot shots in in Australia at the moment. Um, and then there's also the piece of. Uh, like, is it even still going to go ahead? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, always, always reading, rooting for Australia. Um, and I guess, yeah, as we've touched on in this podcast, like, no one, no, no one's ever going to know what, what goes on behind the scenes for people that, you know, even if, even if you finish 20th, that person's probably like, Sacrificed eight years of their life just to finish twentieth. Yeah, yeah so and true. they're probably disappointed. Um, mm. But I, I actually just feel I feel sorry for the athletes if there's going to be no no spectators there. You know, like you, you for, for most people they they imagine their whole life of you know going to the Olympics or and it just I feel bad that they have to go potentially with no no family there or no spectators or whatever it is and like that's not what you that's not what you picture when you're like 18 years old absolutely trying to train for the Olympics so I'm actually just very grateful that yeah the result wasn't what I wanted at the time which you know I can't I can't really complain but um you know over the last Last few Olympics, like Beijing would have been shit, Athens was shit, uh, <laughs> Rio was shit. Like the, the events were on at like ten a.m. in the morning with no crowd, and so it was just like over the last five Olympics, I picked the best one to go to because London was awesome. Yeah, um, it, it, the it pommy fans. Out. It was sold out. For somehow the the weather stayed. Good for two weeks in London. It was sunny and and blue skies, which is a miracle. Um, so, yeah, as I touched on before, like the longer the longer I go on, like the more grateful I will be. Um, and I have I have zero complaints because you know uh, it's wonderful I'll, to hear. Otherwise, I wouldn't be talking here with you guys if I didn't. Yeah. Do this, so. <laughs> All right, mate. Well, um, thank you so, so much because I know you're tuning in from New York City where you're based now. So thanks so much for taking the time to have a chat with the three of us, Bandy Gooses. And, um, yeah, your, your stories are incredible. <laughs> and, yeah, we, we love you to bits, mate. Cheers for that. Yeah, thanks, Mitch. No appreciate worries, mate. you coming on. I appreciate on. the invite and uh, glad Scotty could get his microphone sorted out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So am I. <laughs> I'm so glad because oh, I really yeah. wanted to hear no, some of these right, stories. Enjoy the chat, boys. Love it. Thank you. All right. Thank and just remember much. to keep it keep it stiff, boys. Keep it stiff. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>